0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and prefer not to disclose, back to the Undressing Underground Podcast. Today on the show, our headlining interview is with, God, I hope I'm going to say her name right, Osa Ato. That was probably wrong. I probably shouldn't have tried. I probably should have just gone with Shotgun Seamstress, the name of her fucking really good zine. She does that zine, which is about primarily, I guess, ostensibly, uh, people of color in punk, though it sort of uses punk loosely. It's not just about music, it's about a lot, and it's really fucking good, it's really, really well written, there's a lot of really interesting interviews, and a lot of fucking incredible people that she talks about and talks to. So I tried to talk to her about that, but uh, she called me 10 minutes earlier than I expected, and I was in the middle of reading one of the issues, and then I kept forgetting everybody's name from the scenes, and uh, I I don't come off well. But she does, because she's really smart. on Friday, there might be some more from her. Either Friday or next Tuesday, there might be some more from her elaborating on a couple of things, but yeah, I like this conversation. Also, stick around to the end because I do about 15 to 20 minutes with Arbo Zylo. He's on to talk about and promote his upcoming performance in Chicago, and he needs your help. If you're in Chicago, take a listen and consider being a part of his performance. You can be an avant-garde musician without having to know how to play anything, just like a real avant-garde musician. Let's uh, go to the interview. Hey, we are doing video. (laughs) What's that? We are doing video.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. I thought you You only went better for you, huh? Well, I mean, it just makes conversations easier. I think when you get to see another person. Um, so do you go by Shotgun Seamstress or do you go by like your actual name?
1: I go by my actual name. Shotgun Seamstress is just the name of the zine.
0: Okay. Um, how did you get into zine making, I guess?
1: Um, I would just been a part of, I guess, like what you'd call zine culture for a while. And I had an idea about making Shock and Seamstress for a long time before it actually happened. So I don't know; it's just kind of like an organic uh, um, process, I guess. Cool.
0: Um, I don't know. I've been really enjoying going back through the issues again. Like, how exactly do you find? I mean, I guess you sort of describe it, but like, and when you when you describe each person, you describe how you found them usually, but like, how do you, do you like seek these people out
1: generally? Um, Yeah, but also it's just a result of being really into punk in general. Like I know probably like more than the average person about (laughs) like punk records and punk musicians and stuff. And so you just run into some of them, you know, along the way. And then, yeah, like, um, like a long time ago, like way, way before I ever started writing Shock and Seamstress, I would just kind of like, especially when the internet started becoming becoming like, um, just more, uh, like omnipresent, I started to look up, um, Black Punk on the internet just to find, mm-hmm. see what was out there. And the only thing you could find for the longest time was that, um, rocktober article called black punk time okay and it's actually still out there and it's like the most comprehensive list of black punks out there and they even delve into like new wave Hmm. um a little bit so i pretty much like tore through that list as much as i could and like try to seek out um as many of those people as i could find and also like but this was at a time when like not everything was on the internet. Like I remember mm. um, specifically knowing vaginal cream Davis's name, but never being able to see her like video zines up until like the last few years because YouTube wasn't a thing, yeah. um, you know, and it wasn't even that long ago. It's just a lot of things have changed really quickly.
0: Were you like trading tapes at all or anything?
1: Um, yeah, but not for not of black punk bands. Really, just music in general.
0: So is the whole like because it seems like there's you guys have all like networked like the whole black punk scene to some extent, right? At this point,
1: um, I mean, it depends how you define it. There's like a bunch of like afropunk bands that are, in my view, kind of like largely removed from like DIY punk bands, and then. I don't know. Punk is, like, a thing where it's, like, really localized and all spread out. So I'm constantly meeting people that I didn't know before. Hmm. Like, I think it would be impossible for us to, like, all know each other. <laughs> well, you know yeah. I,
0: mean? <laughs> um, I just mean, like, I don't know. I was just surprised that you weren't, like, really doing much tape trading or anything. I figured there would be some kind of network for Afropunk. I mean, did uh, the term Afropunk come about because of the documentary? Yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't know that.
1: I was, I was doing tape trading
0: oh, it were? just wasn't
1: specifically black punk stuff there's no way to like i mean aside from my zine in that rocktober article i've never come across anything that was like specifically black punk centered
0: that's so if weird you're to an,
1: me, though. if you're in a punk you're just in a punk and then you have to like you get lucky when you find these other examples hmm. so it was just about me being into like punk in general like listening to like every other punk band that everybody else listens to there's like really no way to just be into black punk. Like you'd there's no way to like find all those little secret figures if you're right. not into punk in general.
0: Well, that's what surprised me because it seems like in a bunch of the articles about different black punk bands, they'll mention that they won't really see many black people at punk shows until they go to a black punk show. Um uh, so it seemed like there must I mean, there's like a black punk scene in Chicago now, at least, right?
1: Yeah, but it's not exclusively black. It's just really diverse. There's a ton of black kids in it. There's a ton of um, Latino kids in it. Maybe even more Latinos than black people, but it's hard to tell. There's a ton of queers in it. There's (laughs) white people in it. It's just a really diverse punk scene, but it's not exclusively black.
0: Well, I didn't mean to indicate that. I was just... I just found it curious that you weren't able to trade that much because... Because it's like, is it really the internet that's like really made it possible then to network?
1: I think so. I think that really helped. But Afropunk, the documentary, was made before everyone was on the internet. Like before social media was a really big thing. I think it came out in 2003. Oh, wow. So that was like... It's like right like before MySpace. Like, yeah, it was like Friendster still. Like yeah. it wasn't even <laughs> that big of a thing. So a lot of these things happened with... um like, uh, post sending like actual mail to people sending call outs. I think, um, James Spooner, the director of Afropunk relied on like just his own network of people he knew and trying to like, just do a call out. Um, I don't know if that was like through the mail or just putting the word out there. A lot of the black punks I met before the internet was a thing were people that my friends told me I should meet. Like, they would just be like, oh, like, there's this other rad black punk girl in, like, Pensacola, Florida, and she's coming up here soon, and you should meet her. So, a lot of it worked like that. Um, I mean, trading did happen. Mostly, I would call it just exchange, though. Like, a lot of it happened in real life. Like, a lot of the um, current black punk stuff I have now, like, in terms of zines and stuff, came from trades, for the most part um but in person um but yeah
0: are you trying to organize like trying to like create some sort of like more of a connected scene with your zine now Mm,
1: i think that um I feel like that has happened, but not like in one geographic location. Cause that's impossible. Right. Like since I've been writing the zine, I've lived in like three or four different places myself. Really? Yeah. I started writing it when I lived in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Um, I'm originally from the DC suburbs and I live, I lived there for six months between Portland and uh, New Orleans and wrote, um, issue three from there and then issues 4 through 8 have been written in new orleans so um yeah there was never really an aim to kind of try to get us all in one place cuz i felt like that would be impossible but i think yeah. it was more just kind of like a psychological connection kind of like a um like just like a kind of network where you know that there are just more people like you out there somewhere that you can connect to not necessarily like a cohesive scene
0: right um so actually why did you decide to do a zine instead of just a website or something
1: um it never (laughs) occurred to me to do a website really it just occurred to me to do a zine because that's like what i saw around me like when i was going to punk shows like i said before the internet was i mean i'm not gonna say it it wasn't like pre-1994 it was just before that time when like everyone was on it and using yeah. it in the way that they are now um that that never even occurred to me as a option. Like mm-hmm. I was just used to going to shows and seeing zines like being tabled and other books being tabled and in Portland. I mean they had one of the first like zine um zine fest. They called it a Portland zine symposium. I don't know how long Lyris has been going on, but it's probably one of the older ones in the country. And I was going that to that in the early 2000s when I moved there. Like I said, I was just like in the midst of zine culture. Um, and so it felt second nature for me to make a zine. And maybe I just gravitated towards the medium. I just like zines. Yeah. So that's probably, yeah.
0: They seem to be making like a resurgence again lately. Or maybe it's just I'm discovering them. So that's all it is. But... Does it seem like there's more zines now than there were like, I don't know, I almost say ten years ago, but like five years ago or something?
1: Mm, I think that there are more zines now, but I don't think they ever dropped off. I think that there's just more everything now. Yeah. I think there's more punk bands now, there's more people on the face of the planet now. <laughs> <good> like <laughs> there's just more everything now. Also, a lot of like ideas that were like strictly underground have been like co-opted by the mainstream. And, I mean, you'll go to, like, Urban Outfitters or something and see something that looks like more like a professionally published magazine that they're trying to call a zine. So the concept has been shared through, um, like, genuine DIY networking, and it's been spread through co-optation. So, yeah, like, tons more people just know what a zine is now than they used to.
0: You mentioned on Twitter the one day you sort of – it was almost like an essay of tweets, I think, about a...
1: Oh, Lord. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, well, what one, did I say? I forget. It was when we started talking again um, over DM because you were talking about a... I think it was DC Zine Fest, and about like this sort of uh i can't think of the word but it was like
1: oh i'm talking about how when you go to a zine fest everything's like full color and screen printed and fancy
0: yeah like like i told I my girlfriend about what you were saying she's like so it sounds like you're just making magazines <laughs> not zines
1: yeah and i mean it's like do the words really matter like to me it's i mean like i i tried to say or be clear about like i would never criticize any individual person's way of working
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's not really about that at all it's more and like and like i said like i've I've bought like beautiful prints from people i've like table next to because i thought they were good mm-hmm. so it's nothing against like people working in that way it's just that um bam the dogs just came in full <laughs> it's just that um a big part of zines like part of the definition of zines in to me is that they're supposed to be affordable and easy to distribute and make. And yeah. that's what makes them magical Is and what makes them so um, powerful, I guess, is that, like, you know, like, I'm not going to say, like, anyone can make one, but they're way more accessible to make than, say, a book. Right. Or a professionally bound magazine. Although these days... That's not actually even true. Depending on the length of your zine and the size of it, it might even be cheaper per copy to get it printed, hmm. you know, than um, because of um, the ability to digitize images, you know, and print them. So, but yeah, I mean, I guess I just feel like the power of a zine is that you only need like a pen, a pen and like paper, really when it comes down to it and maybe like a bunch of like throwaway magazines or something to cut up and like it's really just that simple like you can make a zine out of whatever is in your house and I feel like that empowering message that like it's a really accessible medium does get a little bit lost when you walk into a room and everything seems like it was made by people who went to art school and are specially skilled
0: right I know it's the same Yeah, yeah I know it's the same thing with like filmmaking a lot, like supposed underground films and stuff, and like underground film festivals. And then the things they show will have like special effects and like just these like obviously like budgets and everything. It doesn't seem I don't know. But I also guess like you can get uh after effects for a month for like 20 bucks now and stuff and people yeah know how to do things and people pirate everything too so they get all the photoshop and shit for free but yeah there's still just something like that rawness seems to be gone from a lot of things now and
1: yeah and like legitimate like i like meet like young like 20 like early people in their like late teens and early 20s Who are in the punk scene and it's like their aesthetic is like so different just because of computers, you know, Uh and like what I mean, there's almost like at this point, it seems like that little raw, really raw DIY aesthetic is almost just an aesthetic these days. because You can can DIY really nice shit nowadays, (laughs) you know, like you can DIY. I mean, there's like someone um, who I'm in touch with only online is Isaac. He makes um, a zine called Diaspora Drama, and it's a people of color zine. I'm pretty sure he's from the UK, and um, it's full color and beautiful and professional and all created in the digital realm, and I really, really like it, though. Like, it's, like, not something I would normally kind of gravitate to, but I kind of like the way that he embraces that this is like the digital age instead of being in denial of it, like a lot of punk stuff kind of does, yeah. yeah um, and you really can like make a really like polished looking piece of art with like your phone or you know like your computer these days, I mean, so yeah, I don't know, like maybe just that way of doing things is. Um, like, it means a lot to me. It's aesthetic that I love a lot, and I don't want to see disappear, but maybe it's just kind of, like, obsolete and dated. Like, there's really no reason to, like, have your shit look super rough. I mean, you know? maybe. I don't know.
0: But I feel like, if you still just shoot something on your phone, and then you just put it straight into, like, iMovie or something, and uh, and you just like if you still don't have the time to learn how to touch everything up in Photoshop or the money to afford Photoshop or something still, which I guess is hit or miss because now it's like they did creative cloud. So it's 20 bucks a month and people pirate everything, everything, but it still just feels like there still is like a level of rawness that will come out naturally, but will just get shoved aside because a couple of white guys in l a or whatever it was make a film on an iPhone about trans people, but then they they spend like what was it like three three or four hundred dollars on this special lens for the iPhone and yeah. then they have like professional audio equipment, but then they still get all this attention for having being shot on the iPhone, but it's not but it's like all a footnote that they are still spending thousands and thousands of dollars on everything to make it look like that. Yeah. So I feel like the people who, like legitimately shooting something much more real and personal on an iPhone are still going to get lost because the conversation shifts to the idea of like everything being able to be that way, but it's still not totally able to be that way. I feel like for a lot of people.
1: Right. Um, I mean, I still think that like, no matter what, the, the bottom line is that you want to People who have something to say to not feel excluded from saying it because they don't have money or because they don't have like certain whatever other like certain specialized equipment or whatever. Like to me, that's the bottom line. So I guess in this day and age, it doesn't matter if it's like digital or analog or Xerox printed or what. It's just kind of like, I don't know. I I still want to see art that um, is like powerful and that represents like unique points of view right made by people who um made with as few resources as possible to show that it's possible to make a powerful statement without having to spend like hundreds of bucks or whatever
0: yeah have you actually i know you uh know i because fa- i found you through them uh the band the breathing light out of chicago yeah have you seen their documentary they made about themselves yeah yeah like that's
1: exactly that's yeah. an example to me <laughs> You yeah know? like that's an example to me like that's diy there's still something totally raw about it but yeah. also but also there is production though there it's is some like the,
0: but it has like you know, shifting like, uh what yeah, do you, like, like what do you call and it and aspect and ratio and everything like it like they obviously use free cameras and they're not like adapting it to it and uh they'll do things like the one guy during his solo part of it, like he just overlaps his audio of him talking. So you can't really pick up on everything he's saying. Yeah. Um. So there's parts of the intentional parts that are unintentional, but it's still like, I don't know. I like that. I, I really got into through that because I really like that they were like, just really trying to push things with whatever they had. And they weren't really into taking the time to learn how to, make it all match and look perfect they were just looking to get across their message with an urgency I guess what's lost in all that digital sheen is there's a less of a sense of urgency a lot of times
1: mm-hmm. like
0: this needs to be said now
1: exactly yeah I mean I think you're exactly right yeah.
0: but I mean that's sort of I mean I don't know how much urgency there is in your zine I guess because you how, how often do you actually release it
1: there's like <laughs> It's weird. Yeah, there isn't really that much of a sense of urgency. I'm a very leisurely person. So, um, yeah, it takes me like about a year or so Hmm. to make an issue just because it's always been such a background activity. When I first did it, started making my zine, I was in bands and that was like the thing I cared about the most. Yeah. and what I spent all my time doing. And now I, like, teach art and I make pottery and have, like, a little pottery business. So that's awesome. Stuff is, like, background. I mean, I love thinking about it. It's always on my mind, but it's not something that I actively work on very often. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, also, I've just talked about the fact that the world of black punk stuff is kind of small, Compared to like the world of punk in general and then finding what you're actually excited about within that small world is even like a tinier amount of things so it would just take me a while to like actually accumulate a bunch of stuff like it wasn't like I was covering like Every punk band with a black member. I could find it was like I was covering the ones that like I either like got to see live and loved or like just actually really really connected to It just took a while Because like I said, it's all about being in a punk. It's like going to shows, buying records, being into all kinds of bands. Like most of the bands I listen to have like three or four white guys in them. And then like every once in a while, you find a band with a black punk in it. And it's a band that you actually like. And it's exciting. But it happens like once in a blue moon, you know what I mean? Or at least, I don't know. It's happening more and more often these days. Yeah. But, I mean, if you look back on the history, it's like, you know, there's like a few.
0: Yeah, like bad brains little... and <laughs> that's like all I can yeah. really think of. <laughs> well, a band I mean, called DC. death. So.
1: Yeah, in D.C. there was a lot. But like, yeah. but that was all in like kind of one period of time, right? you know, like the span of like 10 years or something, you know? Yeah. And not all those bands I love, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess it goes without saying.
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, you just can't like, like a band just based on that, you know?
0: Yeah. And actually I find it interesting. You actually will cover people that you don't necessarily like too, like in your violin issue, which had a lot of urgency, I guess. Cause you just, the, the one about punk with violin, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Which you just like wrote hand by hand, I think in one day it said. Yeah. And, uh, there was at least one band in that. I think it was with the guy from the Bad Seeds, maybe, that you said just straight up like.
1: Uh, you mean um the Dirty Three?
0: Maybe. I forget. I remember you just like straight up like, I've never really been into this band, but I, but what they do is interesting, I guess. And mm-hmm. I, can't remember.
1: I liked all those bands. Did I remember you? saying about the Dirty Three that I don't really listen to a lot of slow, dirty music anymore. Okay. So like I never really put them on anymore, but for a certain amount of time I really liked that band. And um but yeah, I mean I pretty much try I mean try to write about stuff I like cuz it actually inspires me to say something. I don't really have a lot to say about the stuff I don't like, so
0: <laughs> That's just something I was realizing earlier when I was rereading some of the stuff is that uh I like that it's not always interviews that sometimes it's just essays about what it means to you. And it's as interesting as reading an interview with the person, because that's the other half of making anything really is the impact it has on a person. So I learn as much about, um, uh, say the, the black drag queen in New York, making the short films, um, did you did you say in that that you found him through that gallery? Or did you know of him before?
1: Wait, who are you talking about?
0: Sorry. <laughs> um, I forget that like you can't see the images in my head, I guess. <laughs> um uh this black drag queen that makes like these short films and he's in f-
1: the vaginal cream Davis? Is that what it was?
0: Um uh yeah. that he does like but,
1: but she lives in um Berlin now?
0: Maybe. Sorry if I misgendered her. Um,
1: but then also there's like Marsha P. Johnson, who was a black transgender and like performance artist, like drag queen in New York.
0: This one had a lot of Whitney Houston influence. I remember it said.
1: Okay. Okay. That's Caleb Lindsay.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. And
1: that person does go. I am um, pretty sure that person identifies as he and performs yeah. in drag. I'm not a hundred percent certain, but that's right. what I think. And um, Yeah. That was Caleb Lindsay. Um, and what was your question about him?
0: I'm trying to remember actually. Um,
1: <laughs> how did I find him?
0: Yeah, I think because I
1: went to the Studio Museum of Harlem when I was in New York, and his exhibit just happened to be up.
0: Yeah. Do you tr- get to travel a lot just for fun and stuff? Is that how you stumble a lot of around on a lot of these things or?
1: Um, at first I was traveling a ton because I was in a band that was touring. And so that really helped me meet a bunch of people. Um, that's how I met Vaginal Cream Davis, who told me about Alvin Baltrop, the New York photographer in issue three. Um, and then when I, since I quit bands, I've traveled less and it's, but a lot of it has been for like zine stuff. Um, so, and that's like a great way to meet people and, you know, just like being able to like do events and stuff like that, like being asked to speak or read or whatever.
0: Yeah. Do you do, do you speak a lot and stuff?
1: I don't do it a lot. I just don't like to. Really? Um, I hate public speaking. Oh. Um, but I'll do it when it seems like a really interesting opportunity or if the people that I'm reading with are people I really want to. Um, meet and hear, talk or perform. Um, I try to be really selective about it. Also, a lot of these events are sponsored by like, uh, um, like universities or museums. And I don't always feel like, I don't know, I just kind of am resistant to the idea of like punk being taken out of its context and like put into academia or put into museums or formal institutions. Right. I feel like it doesn't fit, in my opinion. It doesn't make sense. Well, and that to figure out, like, what punk is about, like, for people who don't know, if you take it out of the context, they'll never really get it. They'll never know.
0: Well, it also so, sort of kills it, in a way. Because then it's like, this thing that happened, and there's, like, a theory applied to it now. And uh, yeah.
1: But, um, and then some people make the argument that, like, They're trying to expose people outside of punk to it or punk's too insular, but, like, academia is insular. And, like, (laughs) the world of high art is insular, too. And punk is probably the most, like, populist, like, way of expressing something. I mean, it's like shows are at people's houses or informal venues. It's not like you have to be invited. They're open to the public. If you hear about it, you can go. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's no way for everyone to hear about everything. Right. You yeah. know, like there's just no way. And so when people outside, when people like complain about punk not being accessible, I'm like, well, nothing is a hundred percent accessible. <laughs> yeah. It's not that punk is necessarily exclusive. It's just like, you know who you know, you do things with your friends, you yeah. know, you like,
0: just got to find out about like anything else.
1: <laughs> yeah. And also like a lot of the people I find, you know, I think it happens to be a lot of people who were, like, living a really DIY punk existence when they were younger and then, like, found the need to, like, obviously, like, work and, like, found themselves in, like, academia or in museums and are like, we got to share punk with, like, this new um, situation that I'm in. And I'm just like, you know what? Like, not everyone thinks punk is that cool. Yeah. I think it's awesome. I think it's fun. I think it's cool. But I feel like there's this idea where it's just like, well, punk changed my life. But I just want to give everybody else the chance to have their life changed. But like, it's just going to happen different for different people. Right.
0: It's all about so. your own experience, really. Like, so they can like go to the ac- to an academic setting and like speak about their experience in it. But it's not like something you can bring there. <laughs> yeah. So
1: anyway. That's just a long ass explanation as to why I don't like super prioritize like academic and museum stuff. But I'll do uh-huh. it occasionally, like when it seems like it's going to be fun or yeah, when it seems, I don't know, like an interesting event or whatever. But
0: I mean, the, the, what I was trying to say about academia is like I look at um like in the uh, 60s with film, there was like this huge there's like all these new wave movements all around the world and uh, all these people doing new and innovative things and a lot of those things got intro, like they like the French New Way sort of developed film theory in a way and then those theories are still just what's being taught now as film theory in school in academia but those filmmakers continue to move on beyond that but what they're do, but what they're doing after that isn't really incorporated so like once becomes um a theory it's like it's just set in stone so if punk were to be theorized somehow it would just be that it wouldn't be a living breathing thing anymore it wouldn't be able to evolve with the people in and everything
1: yeah i mean i don't know i've been a part of like some cool um discussions and i don't um think that other people shouldn't do it i'm just saying that my zine speaks for itself (laughs) Um, I feel like for a zine it's hell of accessible like a lot of zines especially in the past did not stay in print very long they a lot of people didn't make more than like 20 copies to give their friends <laughs> I've probably made like hundreds and hundreds of copies of every issue of my zine really? now it's in a book like it's oh, out yeah. there and I'm not worried about it and like I just feel like you can get way more out of just like Reading finding it at someone's house and reading it there, then like having me like rattle on and on and on <laughs> about it.
0: Yeah. And it's it is really good too. Like you do clearly put a lot of into the writing and everything. And do you actually write it on a computer or do you you don't do it on a typewriter, do you?
1: <sighs> Well, if anything, like interviews, computer only, like when you're transcribing, (laughs) if anything's that long and unwieldy, computer. I do everything in the way that is easy. If I do typewriter, it's because it's a short piece or because like the layout that I'm thinking of calls for that. But I use a computer whenever it's like the most uh, reasonable thing to do.
0: It's kind of cool. Um, It seems almost anachronistic like reading and then seeing like an iChat log and then like websites listed on paper <laughs> and, um, but so do you have any plans of like moving anything online like would you do your own podcast or like any kind of video thing on youtube or anything
1: mm, i have a i have a blog that's true um and it doesn't even get updated that much it's not even kind of like a journal blog it's more like oh here's an interview it's usually like a piece that i want to share with people um i don't know but i also want the blog to be kind of just like a standing resource in a way and i feel the same way about the zine like it's not just about like every super little thing that comes into my that pops into my head it's more just like things that i think are intru- like are like are worth being remembered So I try to have the blog and I mean, and that's why it's kind of like, it focuses a lot on history. It's not just like every little thing that's happening like today. It's more just the things that I think are memorable that are happening today. And then like things that I am inspired by from like the history of punk. So from like the late seventies up until now. Um, But like I said, I mean, I'm not putting a lot of effort into the zine right now. I mean, even making number eight was kind of a surprise. Hmm. I have other things going on that are more like present and pressing in my life. It's just something I do because I love it. And yeah, I don't put any pressure on myself to like uh, make new issues or produce more content like I basically wait to feel like inspired by something and then I'll do it Like so I don't really have a lot of plans it's more just like one day I'm gonna get really stoked about a certain band or something and something will come out of that but I don't really have a lot of plans really
0: so do you like build it around that band like do you try and find like a thread from there to other bands is that how it goes
1: Mm, I mean I feel like There's a couple ways it goes down. Like, either I do an interview with an artist or a musician. Or I end up writing about... um, I don't know. Kind of like... Okay, like... The thing... I'm trying to, like... Figure out a way to... I don't know. Like classify all the other writing that i do that isn't interviews like did you happen to read like okada boys from number eight it's like the newest Oh,
0: uh, i only saw some of the scans in that that you
1: had on the well, page i don't know how to cat- categorize it but i don't know there's kind of like this way that i guess i've been able to like talk about certain contexts like whether it's like Washington, D.C. in the early 80s or Lagos, Nigeria 2015 and let people know kind of what that context was like and then, like, tie it to the idea of a certain Black expression that I find rare or rarely documented, Hmm. whether it's, like, Black people, um, like, creating bands out of, like, beating plastic buckets and making go-go music or like me looking for a secret subculture that may or may not exist in Lagos, Nigeria, or I don't know, like talking about like a photographer from 1970s New York. I don't know. It's just kind of like, it's almost never personal. It's just me basically trying to like describe a certain context that feels like kind of distant, whether it's like geographically or historically, and then trying to kind of summon up this image of like a kind of like black freedom of expression through that. I don't know that's (laughs) the best way I can explain it.
0: No, that's good. Um, so I'm curious, did you end up finding anything in Nigeria? Because I I read the parts of it where you were talking about looking for like a subculture and not being able to define a subculture because there's no real mainstream there in a way. But were you able to find anything going on?
1: Well, <laughs> if you really want to know, you're going to have to read issue uh, number eight. Yes. And then you'll find out everything you want to know.
0: I'll buy it And after I can say this.
1: that there's no such thing as a mainstream in Nigeria. There really is. Okay. I said that it's hard to define subculture there because there's a lot of, um, like, tribal diversity right. and religious diversity. So the way that you sub- define subculture there is different than the way you define it here is basically the point I was trying to make. But there definitely is a mainstream, uh, like, there is a mainstream, like... In Nigeria,
0: for sure. Okay, yeah, I was a little confused by the description, I guess, because i I sort of assumed there had to be, but no, I guess that, yeah, yeah, you got to read
1: the whole thing and then you'll then you'll get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I definitely do want to read it because, yeah, I wish I could ask more about it because it is really interesting, and I was really interested too by um, your interviews with other Nigerian American punks because it's such an interesting all three of them well yeah <laughs> but it's an interesting niche to try and like um define i guess in a way wait are you including yourself was because there were four including you weren't there? yeah including me there was only three
1: no four including me. Oh, okay yeah i was gonna say <laughs> three others yeah, yeah three others um, oh
0: so, yeah how did you go about interviewing yourself by the way <laughs>
1: I just did it. It was fun
0: did was it like based on the questions or the answers you got from other people though
1: um I asked myself um some of the same questions I asked other people, and I think that there are a couple of questions that I ask um every every everybody in the zine um, yeah, and then maybe some of them happen to be i mean you ask a question because you already um I don't know. You ask like there's a reason that you ask a certain question and most of the time that reason is that you have some you have something to say on the topic. Right. Like you ask to see what you're interested in what someone else might have to say because you kind of already have a few ideas of how you feel. So, it was easy to like figure out what questions to ask and it was easy to answer them.
0: Yeah, I forgot you wrote that somewhere else that when you're doing interviews you're more just trying to get them to say something you want them to say in a way. Like, to define something you're looking for, I guess, kind of. Uh,
1: More or less. I mean, I'm, like, totally down to disagree, and I've done a couple of interviews where we disagreed, and I feel like that's, like, totally legit, because obviously, like, the whole point of it is there is no unity of, like, thought amongst black people or any group of people. Right. So I'm totally down with disagreeing. But, yeah, a lot of me making Shotgun Seamstress was about um looking for other people whose um like perspectives match my own to a certain degree you know
0: But yeah i mean i think in general whenever you're interviewing somebody you're you go in i mean not you specifically i mean people in general like whether they're honest about it or not they're going in with some kind of directive like they're trying there's something they want to find out so they're gonna try and draw it out of them no matter what yeah um but uh I'm trying to think. Uh I'm really bad at interviews. <laughs> um I don't know why I just blanked. I thought I had something else I was gonna ask about. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay.
1: You can always ask me later, I guess, or email me or something.
0: That's true. Oh, I was curious about uh do you still work at the cafe with I can I don't know actually how to say her name but uh Greta Greta Geretta yeah do you still work there with her
1: No I got fired oh, or let did. go or whatever
0: Does she they still They said
1: that they didn't Yeah I I don't know if she still works there cuz I haven't been there since I quit yeah. obviously <laughs> But um yeah they said they didn't need my position anymore they're like a brand new business
0: it Was a cafe like what was your position that they didn't need
1: Oh, it was just like there were three of us on the clock at a certain point and there, it was just too slow during that time. I mean, it's like all good because okay. I just started doing pottery in place of that and that's worked out great. Like it's so much better just doing that. So everything is fine with that.
0: <laughs> oh, that reminds me actually, are you teaching like for somebody or you just like teaching on your own in your own little studio?
1: Oh no no. I it's completely separate. I teach art to elementary school kids.
0: Oh okay. Oh wait, like at an elementary school? Or like or yeah. f- Oh that's cool. So you actually have like a salary and everything, you're not like
1: Oh no, it's a part time oh position. So you're still no sort of still like working artist basically.
0: Yeah. Well that's cool.
1: Independent contractor life.
0: <laughs> Do your parents still give you shit about it?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I think they they like that I'm that that I've like made pottery into a little business. They like that. So, yeah. and also I'm 36 now. They kind of know how I am.
0: <laughs> um. Oh, Fred, I wanted to ask about the uh, the bands. Were you Were you playing violin in them?
1: I played violin in New Bloods.
0: Okay, and what kind of sound was that like? Like, how exactly do you define punk really?
1: I don't. I guess yeah. I. Yeah, I guess I don't. Like, I mean, you mean in terms of the aesthetic or like the movement that happened in the late 70s?
0: I guess there's any of it because it's such. That's our problem yeah. with like trying to academia. Sorry?
1: started in the late 70s, yeah. you know? And it's. I just. I guess I define punk as like a deconstruction of rock and roll. Hmm and um kind of a um backlash against corporate rock music and then since then it's turned into so many things i mean is punk even, like my idea of punk is that it centers around music but these days a lot of people define punk through traveling culture <laughs> like train hopping and stuff like and like it's not about music necessarily at all so like punk is totally permuted permuted permutated what's (laughs) all
0: i'm not sure
1: (laughs) all these different subcultures like there's all these different subcultures of punk now yeah within punk there's all these different like branches off of it now so it's it's become hard to define. But in the beginning to me it was like a subculture that started in the late seventies. That was a backlash against like corporate corporatization of rock music. That was like a youth a heavily like youthful subculture. A lot of like freaks and eccentrics, queers, women, people of color were a part of it from the get go. But beyond that, it's like really hard to define because So much has happened underneath the umbrella of punk, especially like from then up until now, 2015.
0: So you still just consider like everything you're doing, just be like anti-corporate and deconstruction then in a way?
1: I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it is a deconstruction. Like we were just talking about how, you know, I mean to some degree like cutting and pasting with my hands is... It's just the way that I like to do things and the way that I know how to do things. Like I get frustrated when I try to use Photoshop instead of just <laughs> cut and paste. Yeah. Other people are the opposite though. Right. But in that way, like my style of layout or what some people call graphic desi- design is a deconstruction because I'm not even using like up to date um, right. technology to create what I'm creating. It's not even to me, it's not even like anti-corporate. It's just like aside from it. It's not even like I'm trying to go against it. It's like I'm even just ignoring it to some degree and doing my own thing.
0: See I mean I guess it's interesting because like uh when I did this sort of documentary thing about this noise festival, I we were asking a lot of them like what they consider noise to be and it didn't really seem that different from how i would define punk and uh like yeah i don't it doesn't seem like punk really necessarily needs to be anti something to just be like it just needs to be parallel to it really like the attitude just like doesn't need to be aggressive as much as like indifferent to what's going on just doing what feels right and what sounds good to you and everything
1: yeah i think it's definitely both i think like traditionally if you can use that word regarding (laughs) punk it's definitely anti it's definitely like i hate this i hate that like punk is like kind of really negative and i feel like it has to be anti in order to define itself like you have to be like i'm a punk and i hate hippies so that (laughs) no one can be with a hippie yeah yeah you know like so i think like punk hatred is just like a way of like defining yourself against get out of here you guys (laughs) here this is what's going on
0: aw they're
1: cute (laughs) they are really cute they're just so loud and rambunctious yeah so yeah I think there's both I think there's definitely like a big anti strand that that runs through punk and then there's also just the I'm just doing my own thing like almost like living outside of society kind of thing you know
0: Well, I would think it would have to lead to that anyway, because like it's not like you're gonna keep up on mainstream culture to keep finding out what you're against. You're not gonna be like checking the Billboard Top 100 and going through it to make sure that you're specifically rebelling to each thing in there. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean that was my that was how I went about it, but I feel like that is no longer how it is. I feel like punks nowadays seem to. Pay a lot of close attention to pop culture. Really? Um. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Like every punk I know is like super into like top forty rap and stuff like that too. Um, oh, they're into it. Huh?
0: They're in. They're at. They're into what's popular. They're not. A, so yeah. so
1: everybody that I know that's in the punk is like way into pop culture as well. Like hmm. I feel like I'm like one of the last people that like doesn't know what like this new song is or whatever like I but I'm older than everybody and I think I grew up at a time when like I think my generation of punks was like way more indifferent and distrusting of pop culture but I also think that pop culture has changed like now we have like Laverne Cox on TV and stuff like that and like that wasn't the case 20 years ago So I think that people are confused. I mean, I still don't trust that shit. (laughs) I don't care if it's like a black person, a gay person, a trans person. If you're part of Hollywood, I still am like kind of looking at you sideways. Like, how are you contributing to this like awful structure? You know, so I feel like every time there's like an image of anything in mainstream media, It kind of works against us because it sets up a new, difficult standard to which none of us can rise to. Yeah, (laughs) you know, or me. I don't know. That I mean, other people have to define that for themselves. But I'm like constantly. I mean, just like for me, looking at like images of like black women in mainstream media, like I mean, it doesn't
0: all thin black women.
1: Like they're thin. They <laughs> yeah. all have like long hair and yeah, strained <laughs> <laughs> hair a lot of
0: times. <laughs> and, you
1: know, like I know long ass weaves and stuff like that. It's just yeah. like I don't know. Like I still don't trust it. I still don't love it. I try to be like, I just feel like I got tired of feeling like a Scrooge all the time. So I will like watch Empire if everybody else is watching Empire. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> but I don't really care. I don't. I'm not like. Yeah, I just don't care. It just doesn't mean any it mean anything to me. It's like eating candy or something. It's like it's good, but it's not nourishing, you know. Yeah, and like I look to like my friends' art and like the art of people who I don't know. Like I just look to like other places for like art that's actually and entertainment that's actually like nourishing. To me, not mainstream.
0: Well, back to uh we we're talking about the beginning of this, I guess, is do you find that that art is usually sort of rough around the edges too, like not trying to replicate that sort of cause something I see a lot now with DSLRs is like the very shallow focus. and Everybody looks like they're making a commercial when they're making a short film. Do you find the, like what you're watching and what you're looking for through Friends art tends to be a little bit rough around the edges still like not very clean? Probably.
1: Looking? Because of what, like, we have access to. Yeah. But then also, I mean, I, I love, like, I actually do like going to, like, galleries, museums, and looking at art. Like, oh, well, yeah. I don't know. Like, I went to, uh, like, I did a, um event at Brooklyn Museum. And around that time, that same time, or during that same time, K Day Wiley had a huge display up. He is legit. He's professional. Everything is crisp and perfect. And I loved it. Yeah. So it's not like I'm always looking for a certain thing. I like no. all, sorts of things, but, but yeah, a lot of like the art that I tend to absorb that's like made by my peers is rough around the edges because that's like all we have. You know. Yeah.
0: That's what i was trying to say. Is like I, I feel like it felt somewhat similar the idea of like the clean, rich-looking person um, affecting the view of the person that doesn't have the ability doesn't have the financial ability or anything to present the same way it sort of felt like we were talking about earlier with a lot of art where there's this expectation now that even if you don't have a lot of money that you're still going to be presenting like putting together this clean looking thing even if it still isn't totally feasible if you don't have the money or if you're not going to steal the software online or something and spend every waking hour trying to figure it out
1: Um. yeah i mean i think all we're talking about is just kind of trying to keep capitalism at bay (laughs) so that we can be creative and not constantly feel like we're lacking something like we don't look right because we can't afford xyz items or we can't make art because we got it What's going on there? Sorry, my
0: <laughs> my cat was going to knock over these bottles.
1: <laughs> or that we can't make art because we can't afford X Y Z items. It's basically just trying to, I don't know, like
0: try um, to throw water on him. <laughs> did it work? Yeah, he went down. <laughs> um, but yeah,
1: I mean, it's basically trying to like decrease the hold that capitalism has on us all, so we can feel a little bit. Fulfilled and not constantly lacking something, and we can feel empowered to make art and like be who we are without needing to like purchase our aesthetic or our identity.
0: Yeah, I like that.
1: Bottom line.
0: Yeah, that's a really succinct way of putting it. Is just purchasing your aesthetic and your identity because that's a lot of what it is in the end. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I guess. That's good. Let's see if anything else you'd like to add or say.
1: Um, Not really, but it was a good conversation. And if you think of anything that you want to ask me, you can email me or we can talk again.
0: Sure. Oh, real quick. Is there any way to hear your music with new bloods?
1: Um, I think we have a band camp that's like through kill rock stars. Oh, cool. And yeah, there's a band camp of our entire first, uh, LP.
0: Awesome. And then
1: I'm sure you can find the 7-inch like on YouTube or something like that.
0: (laughs) All right, cool. Well, thanks for talking to me.
1: No problem. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye.
0: Okay, just to be clear, this isn't uh, New Bloods. This is our Rosilo. I didn't get permission yet to use her music. But it is really fucking good. If you go to newbloods.bandcam.com, you can go hear that. Um, but yeah, here's Arvo Zilo. Hey, can you hear me?
2: Yeah, I can hear you okay. Can you hear me? Yep. Cool.
0: Awesome. So, let's talk about uh, your thing.
2: Oh, okay. Well, there's that. Uh, there's a thing with a project called Chicago Artists Month, and uh, they wanted to have people uh, make art that is about Chicago. And I actually have had this idea for over a year, but You know, uh, it's like, okay, who's going to want to buy 20 cables and 20 adapters and all this stuff? (laughs) It it, it actually takes more work than it might seem, you know. But um, what uh, the concept is, is riding the L trains in Chicago is, uh, you know, intrinsic to most people that live in Chicago. I mean, a lot of people in Chicago don't own cars. Some people ride bikes, but, you know, even then, in the winter and stuff, they have to take the train a lot of times. So, um, I personally ride the train all the time, and, you know, I get information from, you know, what I hear a lot of times. I, I a lot of times, um, I'm meditating or something, so I just, I only hear things, I don't see things that much, so...
0: Wait, you mean like um, you're, you're, like, sitting there closing your eyes, like...
2: like- yeah, I, I, I often wear sunglasses and I have a hat <laughs> on, so it doesn't really, you know, most people think that I'm either sleeping or, you know, but... It, um anyhow, you know, I, I sort of, uh, especially I, I've traveled the, the, the Midwest quite a bit on buses and things like that. So I hear people listening to music and uh, I just wanted to sort of like subtract and uh, add with that concept in a controlled environment. So basically what I'm having people do, um, we'll have 20 seats set up like a train and we'll have a projection of videos that people have made of their rides on a train. It'll sort of be like a montage. Hmm. But basically what we're going to have is people listening to their own music in earbuds. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that sounds acoustically. You know, 20 people depends on how loud their earbuds are and if they've got earbuds or if they've got headphones and things like that. Uh, But I actually like, especially sitting in the middle of a bus and hearing on each side, you know, the tinny sounds of snares and, you know, just a montage of crappy music, basically. (laughs) Um, So we'll do that, and then we'll gradually amplify it, so it'll be 20 20 layers of pop music or whatever people are listening to, and then those people will have already recorded a uh, 10-minute recording, at least 10 minutes, of uh, their ride on a train. So that could be, you know, just the sound of the train, or it could be, you know, some person arguing on the train, or you know, whatever it it He'll have 20 layers of that switch immediately. So it's sort of like subtracting and adding, where you have um, you have no sounds of a train, just music, and then you have nothing but sounds of a train to replace that music. It's like a, it's sort of like a serialist performance uh, in the realm of musique concrète because that originally started, and it still is to some extent, based off of largely uh, field recordings, just using them out of context. Right. Uh, so I've i been excited about it for over a year, and my friend just randomly told me about this thing, so I applied for it that night. And <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I'm going to get a grant, but they are offering grants for it. So essentially I'm looking for people who are probably going to have to be Chicago residents, Uh Unless they are we're really willing to commute, travel to do this. But uh, I'm looking for people to come in and probably have an iPhone and they can have an iPod or a, some kind of MP3 player uh, and just be able to play 10 minutes of pop music and 10 minutes of a recording of a Chicago ch- commuter train. Uh, Lost we'll it there, and there'll be two performances um, in one night because uh, they're only 20 minutes. So uh, there could be as many as 40 people participating about like what it actually sounds like, but I don't want somebody to use the same recording twice. Um, Yeah, that's going to be at Tri Triangle on November 1st. And um, I'm working with Tri Triangle in collaboration with it. We're going to be promoting it somewhat heavily and, you know, working on a press kit and things like that. We haven't really gotten down to that part yet, but uh, I'm pretty psyched about it.
0: So, is are the participants also the audience or is there going to be an audience as well
2: there there's going to be an audience as well the the performance itself will have 20 seats in a row like a train and then mm-hmm. anybody else can sit around you know around the theoretical train basically
0: oh so people uh, the audience is going to be like in with the participants basically
2: yeah, I mean, there's not going to be much of a separation between stage and uh, audience, except for there there is going to be an area where people can't sit. But you know, more or less, yeah, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be like set up like a train, and then uh, the way that the venue is set up, it's it's kind of like there will be rows of chairs behind them in a circle or a half circle and arch, and then other people can stand up behind them. It's sort of a lost space. It's a DIY art space. So, yeah, that's how it's going to turn out. Um, It'll probably be in a weekly paper called New City. They're they're going to be promoting a lot of the Chicago Artists monthly programs. So that should be fun.
0: Did you already mention when this is taking place?
2: When this is? uh, It's November 1st. Okay. Um, The way it seems now is... uh, one performance is going to be at 8 p.m. The other one's going to be at 9 p.m. Okay. It, so it's probably me. going to get... Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be amplified, so it could be pretty loud. And uh, Oh,
0: it is being amplified?
2: It, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying is uh, we start out with listening to only the earbuds, and then we're going to have everybody hooked up to adapters so that they can listen to their earphones and also listen to... We can also plug into their earphone jack and amplify it.
0: Oh, seriously! So like a splitter on every per- every person's phone.
2: Yeah, so that uh, you know we can have a contrast of like what, uh, what what does it what does it sound like when twenty people are listening only to trains on their headphones in total silence? Otherwise, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, I I don't know what that's going to sound like. You know, but that might have an effect. You know, it's like uh, with bugs or something. You know, you have uh, cicadas. One cicada isn't particularly loud, but you have several of them you know it's pretty effective
0: that's so, interesting yeah um
2: yeah I, I think it might generate a kind of a frequency type sound I, i'm not sure though it's only hypothetical
0: yeah it could have like a slight i'm trying to, i'm trying to think i feel like somebody else has i mean i imagine other people have done things like this though not with the subway but uh i think the guy who did who did the rock opera Oliver? Might have done a rock opera, sort of like with some elements of this. I can't remember.
2: Wow, well, I'd really like to know about that. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I might. I I know he had another rock opera, and like he, I might be, be confusing him with something I heard like Tom waits talk about or something. Because I know he had like uh. mics set up all around his house in case he ever got an idea and he could like hum it into it. So I might be conflating different stories I've heard. Um, <laughs> But uh, so yeah, uh,
2: you know, uh, I'm not aware of anybody else doing anything particularly spe- specifically like this. But well, you know, of course, people. Uh, you know, that, that's that's a lot about what sound art is—is is, uh, context. You know, just using something out of context. Right. I I've, I've seen people use nothing but sounds of people playing basketball, and uh, <laughs> you know.
0: What was that it, Nike commercial but... too? <laughs> What's that? There was that Nike commercial like 10 or 20 years ago, too, where the basketball players, was like sort of like a stomp sort of thing.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I vaguely remember that. There was little yeah. messages in the commercial, you know, Nike, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Some kind of sloganeering or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, of course there's John Cage who did the whole thing right. about uh, 433 and all that. But, you know. <laughs> Uh,
0: and all the th- random theory, randomness theories of like throwing the thing and whatever note it lands on, he's gonna play next and everything. But yours is much more. I guess it was more or less chaotic than like archa- anarchy. Anarchic? What's? I don't know how you say anarchy as an, an adjective. Anarchic? <laughs> yeah, I guess Maybe so. Anarchic? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm. I'm really. I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it, but I think I'm just gonna probably like drop my arm like a knife or something when I want people to switch to the train recording, and I'm really, really wanting that to be totally synchronized. Uh, So, I mean, you know, there is that level of composition or whatnot. Uh, The man who runs Tri-Triangle, Ryan Dunn, he and I are going to be running the mixer. So we'll we'll be, you know, improvising some uh, panning and some stereo things. You know, we'll, we'll try to Mix things, and you know, so that something is not totally dominant in the mix, but
0: well, you know, more is, or less. Sorry,
2: more or less, it's serialist. You know, I mean, I've done things where it was just tons of radios. You know, um, <laughs> you got like ten radios going, and you just mix it. You know, and, and that's, I just, I just like that. I like that a lot. I, you know, I like repetition. I like lots of layering. I don't, even, I don't really have pedals or anything, so I tend to <laughs> layer things a lot.
0: So how will the audience be hearing this? Like, I mean, you already mentioned that there's going to be, like, a mixer and they can hear it acoustically. But is how are the speakers going to be set up? Is it going to be set up, like, around them or is it going to be, like, in front of them?
2: Uh, I imagine that it's going to be against the back wall where things are also going to be projected.
0: Okay. So, like, a movie kind of just with the speakers behind it?
2: Yeah, I mean it's possible that we'll have two PA's, one uh, in the front and one in the back. That's that's possible. I can't promise that yet, but right. <laughs> um, you know it has been that way in the past at that space. I just uh, things have changed a lot, and I'm not sure. I can't I can't take that for granted, but I'm hoping for it. Um, but you know, yeah, that, that, that I plan to have it right at, right at the right against the wall um, where the where the video is being projected, and we're going to do a montage of of. Anybody that wants to do bonus stuff with video, recording uh, video on a train, like not necessarily recording other people on a train, but like their reflection in a window or just out the window or anything, you know, uh, hmm. could be a static picture of an advertisement or something. and You know, whatever, you, whatever somebody feels like doing.
0: I like that. I keep trying to do things like that, but it's hard to... I sort of did that with the uh, Noise Fest documentary, I guess, but like it's hard to get people to record things that aren't specific sometimes as far as video yeah, sometimes, goes. Yeah,
2: sometimes people ask a lot of questions and things like that. And it's just like, just roll with it, man. Yeah, it's yeah, just you. I, I want
0: just, what you see, not what I see.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I work with people uh, collaboratively, uh, usually I just try to set them some guidelines. Hmm. Uh, like, basically, it's sort of like I see potential in other people. And, you know, I, I... I I don't want to like tell them exactly what to do because then you kind of ruin it, you know, but just say, okay, well, let's see what you do when you have this and with this pedal and, you know, <laughs> this, this particular scenario. And we'll see if we can work out a collaboration that way, you know? Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people are just like, well, do you want it to sound ambient? <laughs> or what do you, you, know, it's like, I don't, I don't know how I want it to sound. I want to see what you do. That's you know.
0: Yeah. I want to take whatever but, you do. I want to, it's like, I want you to play the, trumpet or something and I want to take it and like just i want to take your personality and then do whatever you have like I don't know like it's hard to explain to people I guess I can't even explain it right now still <laughs> you played it already. oh, <laughs> oh I,
2: yeah I, I totally get the picture man I mean I, I work with a uh, I have a project called Blood Rhythms and uh, it's based mainly on people playing brass instruments without any training or at least <laughs> like what, what I tell people is no music just blow into the horn no music and uh you know of course people still get a little jazzy and whatnot but <laughs> you know I, I when i play it i just blow until i'm run right out of air and then i you know take more air and i blow into it again because i'm not a throat singer or uh, you know circular breather <laughs> or anything like that so uh, that, that's what i usually just like layers like i say but have you, you know, people passed play, out
1: from
0: doing that
2: i've been extremely dizzy yeah um <laughs> especially in denver when uh you know because the altitude is different when i performed okay. in denver that was the that was the closest i got to passing out during a <laughs> performance but I, I've, I've never passed out during the performance
0: is that a goal of yours to pass out or are you trying to not do it
2: <laughs> no no it's definitely not a goal i mean there's a guy that actually uh luke luke tandy uh guy who runs a label called skeleton dust he actually did pass out during a performance and it uh required surgery it was oh my god you know pretty ugly uh but you know, yeah, I I offered a bunch of stuff for sale to uh, support him and stuff like that. I'm not sure if I bought anything. But, uh, yeah, I felt bad for the guy because, you know, that's a sign of a good performance, but, you know, at (laughs) at what cost? (laughs) Yeah, I
0: saw Ornette Coleman actually have a heat stroke on stage at Bonnaroo. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it was really scary. (laughs) He just, like... You saw him, like, he kept playing less and less, and then you saw him sitting down, and all of a sudden, you see his arm fall to the ground, and then you hear the drums stop, because his son is on drums, and you see his son just, like, bolt out to try and catch him. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah.
2: I I don't know what, uh, you know, I, I don't know anybody that has ever told me specifically that they have a heat stroke, but is it a stroke? Is it, like you know, like a, like a regular stroke? Is it like that? Or is it just, you know, heat exhaustion or, you know, whatever?
0: I think it's more like heat exhaustion. I'm not entirely sure, actually. I just know that, like, the article, the few articles that actually came out after that said heat stroke, so.
2: Hmm. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's unfortunate. I mean, you know, of course, there are plenty of people who have, uh, you know, of course, uh, Dimebag Daryl from Pantera got shot on stage, so I guess they're the worst thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But, um, but how do people uh, reach out to you to be a part of this?
2: Um, My public email is nopartofit at gmail.com. Okay. So, you know, the word is no part of it, no underscores or anything like that at uh, gmail.com. And um, I haven't posted anything, but. I've got a blog site. Uh, that's no part of it. dot com. Okay. I'll be posting something about it soon. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the gist of it.
0: All right, cool. I mean, I don't. Is there's nothing else you need to say about? Because I don't have any more questions. I don't think right now.
2: I didn't. I, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. Uh,
0: I mean, there's nothing else you need to say about it. Because I don't think I have any more questions right now.
2: Oh yeah, I mean you know that anybody that lives in Chicago who happens to be hearing this uh feel free to get in touch. I'm um spreading the word about it very slowly but gradually <laughs> and uh you know actively every day I'm I'm thinking of new people that I should contact and stuff like that.
0: Oh, well, uh, is there a deadline for when they should get in contact with you cuz you said the shows on November 1st, right?
2: Yeah, I uh I don't quite have a deadline yet. I mean I'm gonna keep working at it, and if I'm not set by October 1st, I'm gonna get really worried. <laughs> but I'm gonna really, I'm gonna really bust my butt to get it set. October 1st, uh, I, I intend to have a program made where everybody is credited, and you know, if it's uh, set in stone early enough, it may be listed in the new city paper. I'm, I'm not sure how that goes. They're they're going to have a whole column on on this uh, Chicago Artists Monthly thing. So, um, you know, hopefully I can credit people as much as possible, and, you know, um, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how much I can pay anybody or anything like that, but um, I'll try to reward everybody as much as I can.
0: At least give them Subway so, fare, I guess.
2: Yeah, I was initially <laughs> thinking, like, let's give them bus fare. <laughs> like, round-trip bus fare. Yeah. That was, but, you know... <laughs> I, I just like uh, kind of petty things like that like I, I like the idea of charging 99 cents to see a performance or something like that <laughs> but um, yeah that, that's what I've got going right now I've got a bunch of other projects that are slowly you know wrapping up but that's the only thing that's set in motion that has a definite departure time you know
0: alright cool well I'd love to do a full hour with you whenever you've got those wrapped up, I guess. Alright. I know that ends kind of weird. That's because we talked for a... Let's see. Maybe an hour more after that. Maybe only about 50 minutes. And, uh... We talked a lot more about his projects, our interpretation, like how we experience, art, and other sort of weird artists we like. And I had a lot of fun talking to him, but it doesn't really fit an episode, so we don't really talk about him too much. So I'll be offering that as a bonus episode to anybody that wants it. All you need to do to get it is, uh, see, donate anywhere. Or, I forget what else there is. Oh, review on iTunes. Think a review on iTunes. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Or follow Kinsey Unicorns on Twitter. Just do something to support the podcast. And uh, I'll send you a link to it later this week. If you've already done one of those things, don't worry about it. If you've already subscribed to the email list, Tony and Laura. I'll send it to you as well. Anybody else, though, you don't get it without doing something, so don't even ask. Anyway, this week, Kinz Unicorns talks to Medieval Knight. Another popular commenter on the gawker. She, uh, was a little bit nervous talking (laughs) because of He's one of those guys that people seem to be in awe of. So that should be interesting. I haven't actually heard it. Also, go check out Arvo's thing. Go to his website, nopartofit.blogspot.com, and you can find out more, presumably, at some point. I don't think it's up there yet, but you can find out more about the performance of Chicago or just email him. You heard about it. Now you know what to do. Just it's, It'll be really easy for you, and it sounds like a really fun time. Uh, let's see. What else are you going to do anyway? Free Chicago. Besides stuff you do in a city that I can't do in Muncie, Indiana. Also, go check out all of uh, Shotgun Seamstress stuff. It's a really good zine and some of the old backup issues are up for free on her website. Shotgunseamstress.blogspot.com Otherwise, you can order the new one, which I already have about Oh my God, what country was that? I am such an asshole, I am so sorry. I have totally forgot. <laughs> Fuck. Um, anyway, <laughs> go to her website, buy her stuff. You can also buy a book of all her old stuff. Also check out her music, newbloods. It's just how it sounds, there's no weird spelling or anything. I keep saying with a Z though I think, I'm an idiot. Uh, dot bandcamp.com com. also leave us a review on iTunes uh, send us money somehow if you want to uh, follow us on Twitter I'm FalconVane and then you can find Ken's unicorns through me I can't remember what her name is on there send us your short stories, guest suggestions poems, etc. to the blog or or you can leave us a voicemail at 260 Punk Pod if you want to promote something or you can talk to me if you want to promote something I'll talk to you like I did Arvo I guess I'm out of time. Come back on Friday. Come back next Tuesday. I'm talking to Hassan, a guy who's seen the Disco Biscuits more times than you've seen any band or probably even listened to
2: your favorite album. The music stopped a little bit ago, didn't it? All right, bye.